from YO1 Radio's Live Lounge. This is the doctor, the therapist, and the coach, with your host, Gemma Taylor. Hello and welcome to The Doctor, The Therapist and The Coach with me, Gemma Taylor. Today I have with me Dr. Angela and Therapist Colette. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thanks for having us, Gemma. Oh, it's always a pleasure, never a chore. So today, ladies, we are going to find the solution between the three of us. (laughs) Sorry, I went in with a laugh immediately. (laughs) Finding the solution to being overwhelmed and just overwhelm in general. Now, putting you on the spot, Colette. Okay. (laughs) What would you describe overwhelm to be? I guess in myself, in my own life, um... I feel it in my body. Okay. So I, I can shake, my hands can shake yes. a bit. And I feel it in a very sensory way. So I um I find it with noise. I know that I'm overwhelmed if I can't have someone talking and the radio on at the same time. Oh uh, yes. I don't know so much if it's if it's a, a, a series of doing things. So okay. I've, I've got too much on, maybe. It doesn't seem to be like that. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if it's kind of hungry, angry, lonely, tired, one of those. Yeah. Um, but it does, and I don't have it very often, um, but when I do have it, I shake and, oh. and I feel it in my breath. So it's a very physical Very, very physical. Experience. Very physical, yes. Angela, with being our resident doctor, um, overwhelm in clinic and in the medical community, how is that, how is that dealt with? What, do you see it as, a, as an actual thing? Is it, is it something that you deal with on a day-to-day basis? Well, there's loads of elements to that. There's overwhelm in the systems that I work in, definitely. Okay. Um, and I, you know, there's a whole conversation about how that's being dealt with or not dealt with, but it's certainly something that is really present, I think, across general practice, hospitals everywhere, really, mental health services. Um, but definitely individuals as well. I think lots of people struggle with boundarying, limiting, saying no to things and sort of passively do lots of things that are perhaps beyond what they can manage comfortably. But when I was listening to Colette and you were saying, oh, it's more of a being than a doing thing for you. Only for me, yes. Yeah, I I think for me it's very much a doing thing and it's very much a a sort of in my brain thing when I'm feeling Mm. overwhelmed rather Mm. than in my body. Yeah. I think actually, I think sometimes, and I know you tell me this, Gemma, you know, you need to use your body as much as your brain. And I think sometimes my brain gets overwhelmed and my body hasn't been used enough, maybe. Yeah. And that's why I feel it in my body. Cycling. Um, well, you cycle, don't you? <laughs> I, I box. How many miles did you cycle today? I work in kilometres because it sounds better. Oh, yes. I actually wasn't too far. Um, <laughs> it was only 50. Oh, only 50. Only 50. Because I was at the gym today <laughs> and Gemma's had time to do her hair and looks quite stunning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, while you were cycling your 50 kilometres, I was doing my hair for a radio show. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's unfair. <laughs> well, so in, in my experience with overwhelm, it's, it's when somebody's doing too much in either like you say a physical sense or a brain performance sense you know i get a lot of ceos that are just constantly thinking they never can switch off and not just ceos mm. but people in general you've got they're trying to spin a thousand plates at the mm. same time and it's making sure that all the plates are staying on the little sticks and i that's how i see overwhelm mm. in my experience as a coach is that people are trying to spin every single plate that they can and when they fall off it's the falling off that, that when the plate crashes to the floor it's that feeling of oh 
God, you know, I've dropped it. You know, it's it's the yeah. devastation yeah. of what happens in overwhelm. Yeah. And sometimes I think we need to look at: Do we need to be spinning those plates? Where that messaging is coming from? You mm. know, this, this idea that we kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? We sort of worship busy as, as though it's mm. a. Uh, something to you know what have you done today oh i've made a batch of scones taken the kids to school done five hours work clean the floors run 10 miles you know had coffee with a friend made a four course dinner and and i'm, I'm ready for my husband to come home or wife to come home or whatever yeah. how about oh well actually i watched some telly or i read, read a, a book, book or Ooh, i don't think we're ready for I, I know I, I often find it with beeping you know just like the, the noise things make like my my washing machine when it finishes beeps my phone beeps, my microwave beeps, um, the, the lorry that gets the bins beeps, everything beeps. And every time it beeps, it tells me that I, I should be paying attention. Yeah. I should be paying attention. I should be looking at it. Oh, look, there's another beep. I need yeah. to think about I've what that is. I've got a kettle that whistles and I hate it. Yeah. Because yeah. I want it to do its thing, <laughs> switch itself off and wait for me to be ready yeah. to make my cup of tea. Mm. But it screams but at it me until you, I turn yeah. it off. And so many things now don't actually have to audibly beep for us to almost internally feel the beep yeah. i'll just check my phone i'll mm. just check my email i'll just check that the the, the, the kid the kids don't need something i'll, I'll just check w whatever our thing is it's almost inside us that kind of for, for me that sort of beep have i done this have i done that beep 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 mm. and i find it very difficult to switch it off sometimes mm. i think i'm hearing a lot at the moment of people especially after you know coming out of lockdown and, and having more time or some not everybody obviously but some people having a little bit more time on their hands to do things and getting back into the actual you know regimented process of life and and all of a sudden resting so to speak not everybody but a lot of people having that rest and then going <gasps> what yeah. is that how much yeah. stuff did I cram into the day and are you seeing anybody you know in, in your practice or you know in, in, in your in your experience are you seeing people struggling with overwhelm yeah but I think I always have I, I I don't think it's a new thing I think that we as Colette said we value doing achievement taking things off a list we you know we talk a lot about having this productivity apps my my daughter's got a productivity app already she's got no need to be productive at this stage and yeah. i think that there's definitely um a cultural expectation that we're going to use our time productively and and do stuff and have things to show for our time yeah that kind and of certificated achievement yeah and you know we, we all know that we like certificates i love certificates and <laughs> I, 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 I won't do anything <laughs> without a certificate no and i think that's fine but <laughs> there's that whole thing isn't there sort of there was some meme I was looking at the other day and I thought this is very true, that we, we actively work on stuff, but actually we need time to process and let things settle. And I don't think our lives allow us that very often, which yeah. means we're constantly in that cycle of creating change, but not necessarily with any time to do the adjustment that goes along with it. And I think that's probably quite a big part of why people feel overwhelmed they've got all the it's it's like a bunch of printer jobs on a printer that isn't working yeah. everything's stacked up and pending and there's no time to actually sort of catch up and process everything mm. i think even just the printer analogy is overwhelming because how many times have you actually gone to your printer and it has worked you know <laughs> <laughs> that's true it's that's so true. true but i think you're absolutely right it's the overwhelm is when there is a change that is that is there but it's actually seeing the change and knowing that that if you did make that change actually the consequence of that change would be getting out of the overwhelm but so many times 
you can see the change, but you're not doing the change. I wonder what stops this. I, I, you know, I was thinking about you saying with your plate analogy and the devastation of dropping one. I'm, thi- I'm thinking, well, why do we get so devastated? Is mm. the problem with this that we're well, not very good at... I'm thinking, why are spinning the plates? Yeah, yeah, I like spinning. <laughs> I know you do. I, know. I don't mind I if I drop one, but I do. <laughs> I do like spinning. And I think that it, it, it's very true. So if you've got like 10 plates, you know, in my in my line of work, I always look at everything in, in a knots and crosses board. Mm-hmm. And I always say you can always concentrate on three things successfully at, the sa- at one time. It's true. I do have a copy of your power map. Yeah, exactly. I the do. power map. Yeah. And, and it's basically um, just looks like a knots and crosses board. It's got nine aspirations of life. And if you are very good at categorizing bits of your life at one point looking at three you can very healthily and successfully manage Mm. three areas of your life well any more than that and i do this myself every month i go through my map and i go right okay am i trying to do too much have i said yes to too many things and am i able to just balance it out with doing the top three things and then putting things on a secondary shelf and that, for me, is a really clever way of make of managing my life's overwhelm. Because if I personally get into overwhelm, I stop. <laughs> so uh, uh, all my plates crash. Does your secondary shelf only have three spaces too? Because I'm already panicking. Yeah, my second. So my top shelf has three spaces. Right. My secondary shelf has three spaces, and my thirdary shelf. <laughs> that's <laughs> a real <laughs> word. Thirdary shelf. Thirdary shelf has three spaces. I only have nine spaces in my oh entire wow. life. Okay. Categorise. How many spaces do you have? a bit there. A lot of spaces. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, I like it. You know, I've had it pointed out before that I do a lot of stuff, but I really, really like it up until I don't. And I don't... The problem for me is not always Mm. knowing how close I am to I don't like it. And it can be one or two jobs or one or two deadlines. And so I think sometimes when I listen to your, your, you know, three shelves, three things on each shelf, very nice analogy... I'm thinking, how do we say no to stuff so that we narrow it down? And it won't just be me that is like this. I think lots of people enjoy juggling lots of things. So how do you decide what you're going to say no to? Yeah, I I love juggling things. I love doing lots of things all the time. My brain works really quickly. I get bored very easily. Um, And I think it's, for me in my life, I I feel it's sad when we don't try things and we don't do new things. But for me, it's about something about expectation, um, as opposed to exploration. So if we've got this expectation that we're going to do all these things and it's all going to have this outcome and it's all mapped out and then it doesn't, you drop your plate. But if you think, actually, I'm going to have a look at that, I'm going to have a play at that, I'm going to see where that takes me, then I think we can set ourselves up on a different journey that maybe doesn't lead. Um, I was talking to Angela just before we came on air and I've recently learned to play the piano um, not overly well. I'm in the process <laughs> of learning to play the piano. And someone asked me why. You know, why did I learn? Angela didn't ask me. Someone else <laughs> asked me why. Why did I learn? Uh, for absolutely no point. There's really? no reason for me to learn. I may have a certificate. I may <laughs> not have a certificate. <laughs> <laughs> there is no. There's no. There's no purpose to it. I'm not going to be a concert pianist. Um, I'm there not is going a purpose. To. There is exactly. There is a purpose. The purpose is the pleasure of doing it. Just the pleasure of doing it. Mm. And that's a good. That's a great purpose. It is. And sometimes it adds to my overwhelm. I think, oh no, I've not practiced my piano today. But because I don't have an expectation of myself particularly mm. to yeah. do it, 
then it's it's just a moving meditation for me. It's just a way to, to sort of stop my brain from working all the time. Yeah. Whereas if I was working towards an exam or I was part of an orchestra or something like that, um, there would be an expectation and then I'd have an expectation of myself and then it would be on my, my shelf, which has way more than three things on it, um, at all <laughs> times, it's being held up. Um, and, and then that would be something that would cause me overwhelm. Mm. Who's holding your shelf up? Um, the elves. <laughs> <laughs> the elf on the shelf? <laughs> the, elf, the elf under the shelf, holding the shelf up. I think it's force of will and some good luck holding my shelf yeah. up. Who's You're holding yours up? Oh, God, me, everyone. <laughs> I was thinking about what you were saying about doing things for the pleasure and not having a goal. And I was thinking about how much I talk about that in my work when I'm doing the sort of sexology stuff. And you've got people who've lost climax or who've got issues with, you know, arousal penetration, the kind of stuff that I deal with in menopause and, and um, psychosex work. We're always taking the goal away. We're always saying, take, take the aim away and stay in the kind of the curious and stay in the play. Mm, yeah. And there's a lot to that, isn't there? Doing stuff, uh, doing stuff because the journey is enjoyable rather than being too yeah. fixated on where yeah. we're going with it. And that is success for me in general. You know, if if you are very not happy with the journey, the destination is just awful and it's the pleasure of the whole entirety mm. the start has to be pleasurable even even normally the push isn't pleasurable mm. when you get pushed into doing something it's normally a poke that kind of hurts or somebody said something mean or somebody has done something or you know you've, you've had a thought in your head that's not been very nice or whatever it is the push an accident a, a physical a physical horrible thing and it's pushed you into making a decision, like our last podcast about making a decision. Mm. And then having, making sure that what you are doing is for the pleasure of it, you're learning the piano. It's a yeah. pleasurable choice. It's, it's not very pleasurable for my family, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they bought me headphones. <laughs> but it's, it's a pleasurable thing. And like you're saying, it's, it's take out the actual destination and enjoy the present second that you're in. Well, that's that whole thing is, is it worth doing something if you're not going to get to a destination you know I think there's loads of things that I'm involved in doing that I am really happy just to be doing them wherever they end up and maybe that's why I like my chaos I'm I, there are some things if I drop one of the plates I'm spinning then it is a disaster mm. or you know I will feel bad about that particularly if it's to do with timetables of the kids or something that makes me feel like I've you know taken my eye off the ball but then again I get bored easily it keeps me very happy to be doing lots of things and I kind of accept that if I say yes to lots of things, then I'm not necessarily going to do as well as I might do if I only said yes to three things on <laughs> three shelves. <laughs> do you think we expect a lot of ourselves, I mean, the, the three of us are mothers, do you think we expect a lot of ourselves, you said about when you drop things for the kids, of all the things you could have said then, it was the kids, and I know I feel like that. So I run my own timetable, 99% capacity all the time. And it just takes one thing to slide in unexpectedly, often, you know, some kind of violin evening <laughs> or something that um, I'm sitting through. Um, and, and I can't quite make that work. And, and that's the thing I feel really bad about. Cause it's, almost, it's almost as though um, there's the, the children's timetable has ownership of my, my time. It has like a, a, I don't know, it's like a right to it, a pre-given right to it before everything else. Mm. And I know when my children were little, 
I often describe it as it's like jingle bells on loop. It's just this awful like boredom, absolute boredom all the time. But you have to be present for it because mm. at any minute, you know, the cat could get put in the washing machine or, you know, someone will flush something down the toilet. So <laughs> you have to be on high alert whilst being almost hypnotised by boredom at the same time. And I think, you know, now my children are a little older and stopped kind of flushing things down the toilet like that. Um, and the cat's fine. And the cat's fine. <laughs> Both my cats are fine, just to be clear. No cats <laughs> were injured. Um, I, I, I guess I don't want to just be sitting around waiting for someone else's timetable. That, yeah. That's kind of how I feel. Mm. Um, so I have my own timetable, but it still has to be adaptable to what happens around me. And thinking about it now in this conversation, it's probably that that brings on overwhelm when it's, it's something else that comes into my timetable mm-hmm. that I maybe wasn't aware of or I'd forgotten uh, or has just come in unexpectedly. Like a curveball. Yeah, just a curveball. Yeah, so someone you know, someone gets sent home from school sick or there's an extra phone call. or um, you Do you like structure? I love structure. Really? I absolutely love structure, yeah. I <laughs> like all my pictures to be straight and my things on my shelf are very, very straight, yes. Yeah. yeah. Is everything in your house really straight, Colette? You know this, you <laughs> know <laughs> this, <laughs> which is why, yeah. yeah. Does everything, every single thing in your house have an absolute home and place? Everything in my house has an absolute home and place. Even the cupboard that is possibly the most amazing cupboard I've ever seen in my life. Yes, every single drawer you open, every single cupboard you open. You showed her your cupboard and I haven't seen it. You haven't seen my cupboard. I know. Honestly, you open this cupboard, it's it's like an opera. You open it, it goes... And it sings at you. It's so beautiful. Do you mean the, the one cupboard. that lights up when you open it? Exactly. It's, one, got yes. the, it's got the angels. In. I mean, it's brilliant. But you do like structure. And I, I think that structure. as yeah. soon as... And, and you're over... It sounds like what you're saying is that your overwhelm is when the structure gets like an earthquake or somebody rattles your structure. And then it becomes... Um, not the structure anymore. It's not the same structure. I think some of it's safety. I mean, I, um, I came out of rehab 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, I'm a recovering alcoholic, for those who don't know. Um, and and I was fortunate enough to go into a really positive rehab environment, and and part of part of that environment was learning to create some structure in the chaos of addiction. Yeah. Um, and I do sometimes think maybe I drew my lines a bit too hard with a marker pen, <laughs> and I could do with bending them a little bit. Um, and I certainly feel safety in structure. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know I, I I obviously my my timetable is very full, and sometimes things have to move, but as much as possible. When I say I'll do something and it's written in, I mean, yeah. you'll probably know, Gemma, if I say I'm going to be there, and same with you, Angie, if I'm saying I'm going to be there, I'll be there. Absolutely. Um, and, and then it is difficult then when two or three things need to fit in that same slot, and I, and I feel I need to be at all of them. And, and, and for you, Angela, you're, are you a structured person or do you like having like a pick <laughs> and mix? Are you a, a sort of a... Just to laugh. Yep. Just yeah. <laughs> and that's <laughs> what happens. I'm waiting so to see what you say. <laughs> right. Yes and no. I really, really, I love structure and order and organisation. And I regularly try and create it. But I easily drop it. And when I drop it, it becomes chaotic. So, you know, but everything gets done. I I do always manage to get stuff done. And I think that allows me to feel quite relaxed in the chaos, actually. I'm I'm quite used to being quite deadline driven. It's always worked for me. I produce good work that way. I get a lot done. Um, But yeah, I do feel calmer. I think it's a sensory thing for me. I feel calmer when there are are clean surfaces and everything is sort of ordered and diaried. But my life doesn't work very easily that way. It's a sense of ordered chaos. 
Yeah. Yeah. And and I and it, it's great that you are so opposite on the spectrum because yeah. it, it, it you and balance it spectrum. It is very much a spectrum. <laughs> I have I have the cupboard, I'm just saying. You should have been at my house the Christmas that I organised everyone's timetables for three days in fifteen minute blocks. Interestingly, I really don't like it. I, I can hear you saying there's something I don't I don't like you when you I say know. those things. I don't <laughs> like you. I know. And and then and then I want everyone to behave to the timetable and they get upset when they don't and nobody wanted the timetable but I drew it out. With pens. Really? It's a I bit did. like Super Nanny. I did just like Super <laughs> Nanny. And what I've probably learned is I'm not very easy to live with when I'm like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we've got here, we've got the absolute structure and we've got the organised chaos. And I think they both work. And, and it's when you're looking at it from an overwhelming perspective, we all have different ways of dealing with overwhelm. Like, for me, I deal a lot with stress. So, you know, you I... You to me then. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like giving people stress in a positive way. Positive stress, negative stress. For me, you come to my gym, you come to my clinic, you get a positive level of stress. And, and if I am overwhelmed, it is because there is too much. You know, in my physical body, I've maybe lifted too much mm. weight and then I have to recover. And I look at that from every, you know, from every angle. So if, I, if, I'm, if, if I'm looking at a client, because a lot of the time... People don't realise that they're in overwhelm. Have you noticed that? Um, absolutely, mm. yeah. Yeah, most people, when they come in and, and everything's wrong, nothing's wrong, there's, there's no way to pinpoint what, what, what they're feeling or, mm. or where the problem might be, and that's just generally they're kind of overwhelmed. It is, it's when you, I feel like I have to point it out, do you feel overwhelmed? And then there's a shock, <gasps> yes. And it's pointing, it's putting a, a finger on the point oh yes that's it I feel overwhelmed mm. and it's not something that you know like you know when you feel bored you know when you feel happy mm. you know when you feel pleasure you know you know when you feel all these different feelings but there are some feelings on that feeling spectrum like overwhelm which is a feeling and an action it's it's not very difficult sorry it's very difficult to pinpoint so when I introduce this, this sounds like you feel overwhelmed. They're like, oh my God, yeah, I feel overwhelmed. So, okay, let's look at that and let's start telling the truth about each one and let's pick it apart. Mm. What are the plates? Mm. Okay. And then what I do, using the plate analogy, I give someone empowerment to take one of the plates and do a like proper Greek wedding on it and feel like they are the ones that are smashing the plate on the floor. Because I like her. Oh, you'd have to clean that up if it was in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tell you where the dustpan is. But it's giving somebody the power to go, do you know what? All these plates are spinning. If that one falls off, I'm going to feel really sad. But if I actually take it off its spinny thing and I know exactly what it is and then I smash it myself, I'm in charge of that. Mm. Yeah. Because there is this feeling of not being in control. That's yeah. like things happening to you. You know, I hear that a lot. Why is this happening to me? What's happening to me? Um, I would tend to work on kind of a core I am, a core value. You know, who, who, who are you? What are the three things that are most important to you? How do you recognize yourself? I hear a lot of people say, I don't recognize myself in this life. Mm. Um, people often live a life that's very externally scripted, so it wasn't really what they chose. They're just yeah. following this, this, this kind of expectation of themselves, wherever that's come from. 
um, and then find that that most people can do things if they really enjoy it, if they've chosen to do it, being busy, even being stressed. You know, that in itself isn't the problem. It's when we're doing lots of things, none of which are recharging us, none of which are feeding us. Half yeah. of them we don't even know where they came from or what they're doing there. And sometimes it is actually back to threes. It's bringing it down to, you know, what are your core I am? So for me, for example, I would say I am a mother. Um, I am yeah. a therapist. And clearly, I am a pianist. <laughs> um, <laughs> Quite obviously. Well enunciated, that word. Well enunciated. Um, you know, I, I don't have to add lots and lots of things to that. And sometimes when there's, there's too much going on, I can bring it back to, okay, so, so does this behaviour fit with my core values of myself? Yeah. And that is a live thing to do. It's not a done thing that's always the same. It changes ages and stages. You know, it changes over time. It changes with how I feel as a person. I mean, I know... I'm postmenopausal because I had a hysterectomy um, over 10 years ago now. So I felt a huge amount of overwhelm because my hormones were all over the place. Yeah. You know, that was a, a physical thing. It wasn't really to do with my how, mm. I f how I felt or, wha or how busy I was. or I just suddenly didn't feel able to cope with anything, yeah. you know, even like making the TV work. Yeah. I, I still remember looking at the TV and not having a clue which button to press on the, the remote because I don't normally watch it. Things like that that normally I could do very easily. And do you find, Dr. Angela, <laughs> that the, the menopause, any sort of, for not just the menopause actually, in practice in general, and I don't want to just keep this to women, but what about men? You know, we've got the, the female menopause, obviously the menopause and female. Um, but for the men, do they ever come with overwhelm? And what is the sort of hormonal aspect of that? Oh, that's an interesting question. That, uh, where do you start? Do they come with overwhelm? No one comes in knowing it's overwhelmed, just like with you. Yep. They come in with other symptoms, often physical symptoms. And I've got to, I've I got to be quite diligent in making sure that they aren't physical symptoms first or there's no kind of biological, you know, underpinning thing that's causing it. Um, and it's back to that kind of model that I talk about a lot, this biopsychosocial thing, that we are the end point of how we feel, the world we're living in, and what's going on with our biology. So I need to see somebody who comes to me feeling pain or feeling anxious or not sleeping, and then kind of figure out what are all the little bits that are contributing to that. And hormones definitely do. Mm. I mean, we're, we're less good at defining male hormone deficiency in a way that everybody agrees on um, but there's definitely some of the symptoms if you're deficient in testosterone and you're male bodied then you lose some of your cognitive functioning you lose some of your energy you lose some of your enjoyment and it's a bit like um, the female menopause and the same sort of you know for you very biological change but then this is me circling around again that sense of overwhelm you're just proving the fact that it's something that we can feel in our bodies as well as something we can conjure Absolutely. up in our minds and one yeah. one bit talks to the other and and you know we're, we're constantly sort of assessing how our bodies feel subconsciously and if our bodies feel like they're racing and our hearts are racing we think that we're panicked or you know we, we start to sort of feel anxious not even consciously your head makes up a story to yeah. make sense of the feeling. Do you think that there is a relationship between anxiety and overwhelm? Yeah, because I, I was thinking this earlier on when you were talking about control and Colette was explaining how controlled her environment is. And <laughs> I was it's going to be all about my straight pictures, isn't it? I just know it. <laughs> it was a, I mean, it was a beautiful... My actually, cupboard. I loved your house and I'd like to click my fingers and live in it because I would feel so peaceful in that Thank house. It's a, it's a beautiful house. It's a beautiful house. It's very tidy. Very organised. <laughs> everything has a place. It's all good. But 
I, I think one of the things that we really struggle with as humans is that we are not in control. When somebody dies, yeah. we're not in control. When we get yeah. sick, we're not in control. Yeah. So everything that you're talking about, that we're talking about, is a lovely set of constructs to try and help us to feel like we've got some kind of order in the chaos. Mm. Back to my order and my chaos. Yeah. But it is chaos. It as is. much as you think you can control stuff. You can't. And, and for me, I, I guess partly because of the job that I do, I, I know I've got this kind of slight OCD. And you're both about to laugh at me. Um, but this nodding. slight yes, OCD. Yes, you do. But, and, and yes, yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, but I know that I need to have that structure for that safety so that I can feel free within that. Mm. So I can't, I can't feel, I don't feel safe enough to be free or creative without the structure. But I also know, I mean, all joking aside, it is not easy to live with. Mm. So over the years, I've developed things that, that kind of give me a sense of control. So we have um, Mummy's Anxiety Apples, the three apples that sit in the middle of the long dining table, directly underneath the light and perfectly positioned between the two windows. And every now and then I just straighten them out, <laughs> you know. I'm going to go across your house and move things. Oh, See, that's don't, the challenge. Please don't, please don't. That makes <laughs> me so uncomfortable. But because I've got my anxiety apples, move over that. Because I've got my anxiety apples, I don't mind so much when people leave their shoes in the in the hallway or just put their coats down. Sort of oh, actually, I do mind that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to retract, yeah. retract, retract. <laughs> <laughs> but there are other things I can just about bear um, because I, I know that that's where my control is. And, and I, I think there is something about people feeling that they have enough control of their time. When you were speaking, I was thinking about timetabling and this kind of destination. So, you know, penetrative sex, this is the end. Great, mm. good, because I've got a good 10 minutes and th that's the end. So now I can get on with something else. Or, you know, the, the, the time it takes to maybe... Um, get a piano certificate or something you know i'm going to give myself six months for that that's great that's a timetable time box thing and i think some of it's that a lot of people come to my clinic and say you know well how many sessions will i need i, I don't know you've not spoken to me yet yeah i can't do that you know it's, it's not like a microwave recovery you can't just yeah. you can't have lived this way for 45 mm. years and then ask me for six weeks and i guess that's the problem with funding for mm. For, mm. for any kind of emotional support or talking therapy you know, six weeks funding, how would I know? How would oh, I know? This is what that I really that. feel. Yeah. yeah. When I did my, um, sorry, I'm, I'm interrupting you, but just in that, that as a doctor, when I did my training for psychosexual therapy and was asked to do 50 sessions of personal therapy and kind of went along for my first one, thinking, what am I going to talk about, you know, and then filled it very easily. And I now look at the patients that I refer on who come to me with an issue and saying that they want to do something about something that's troubling them emotionally and I can only send them for quite limited therapeutic mm. intervention and it's sort of normally six sessions and I was barely getting to know whether I trusted my therapist in that time yeah you know, actually in terms of therapy can, I, I think it can be quite difficult for both uh, the client and the therapist because you often just get to uncover to yeah. just get to the problem and then and then it's raw and people test you out. Yes, they, they do. do. Lot, they do that with doctors. They mm. do lots of, um, you know, ticket of admission stuff, things that are okay to come and talk about. Yeah. I had a, when I was a young doctor and before I did my sexology training, someone came in to talk about headaches. And, you know, right at the very, very end of the consultation, when I asked him if he woke up with a headache in the morning, he dropped in that he had lost his morning erections. And that was 10 minutes into the consultation. And he was all the way through just making sure that I was going to respond to him. Yeah in the correct way so in a therapeutic environment i think it's very difficult to do that in a a time structured sort of time limited way and do you not think that kind of from the very beginning 
takes something away from the process potentially it does because you're also immediately dealing with an ending yeah um and that's massive so most people don't have a positive experience of endings mm. at all so in in my practice it's something i work very much with but if if you've got this kind of forced ending uh because it's funded or cause that's, that's that's what the process is for, for where you're working um and i find f- from for a lot of people i've worked with over the years it's not. It's not even that they're testing me out. It's that the 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 thing that they're carrying, they just don't know they're carrying. Mm. They've got no idea because it, it's 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 their recognised normal. It's 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 a thing that happened. It's mm. a thing that's been buried. It's a thing that's in denial. It's a thing they just genuinely didn't think was important. Yeah. And and you know, truth and perspective change through time mm. and mm. through um through discussion and. And looking at things a bit differently and, and having a different view, having a broader view on something or just a different perspective on something. Yeah, and that's when when I look at what I'm doing, you know, um, one of my one of the physical aspects is can you lift it or can you not lift it? And there is it's either a yes or no answer. It's not a well, I lifted half because you can't, especially if you look at the deadlift. The deadlift is a, a lift with a bar. You pick it from just below the knees up to above the knees. It's you stand up with it. And it's a very, very simple process. It requires, you know, breathing, correct breathing. It requires strength. It requires good technique. But at the end of the day, it's very easy to teach. And when you say to somebody, right, okay, we're going to put the numbers up. We're going to lift a little bit more. It's either a yes or no answer. So it's it's truth. You know, it's it's reality. It's actual. And when you take that and you, you give somebody the option of, of either lifting it or not, and then taking that into the sit-down talking part and saying, right, what is the truth? Oh, well, it's a little bit. No, 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 not a little bit. What's the truth? And then you take every single little part of what they're trying to tell you and you get them to tell the truth about it. And all mm. of a sudden, it reduces their stress because yeah. like what you're saying about they're carrying something that they don't know, but it's actually a perception on something that, that might actually not be real. And then you give somebody just the gift of reality. It's like reality in a basket. And you go, right, okay, tell me the truth. Well, I have told you the truth. No, no, no. You've told me your perception of the truth. Mm. Tell me what is actually the truth. And truth-telling can really lower it. I know that it does for me. I get right down to the bottom part. If I'm feeling stressed or overwhelmed or anxious, I'm like, no, 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 this is not my normal. Mm. You know, I am strong. I'm a strong woman. I was, you know, I competed in strong women. And I feel that I can carry more shopping bags from the car i can carry more emotions i can Gemma, carry you can lift the car yes that's correct and i have done quite a few times <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it's one of those things that if i if i have an overwhelming feeling if i have an anxious thought if i have a stressful period of my life if i sit down and i go through every single part of it and just tell the truth i feel much more like we were talking about to go back into control, I feel much more in control of it because I know what is real and what is not real. Yeah, and to get to that, you know, you, first of all, you need to be able to recognise the feeling mm. and then just say your truth. So, for example, in, in my own house, I, I would say, is it okay if we turn the radio off because I'm just feeling it's a bit much? Yeah. So, you know, both, both the kids are talking, my husband wants something, the dog's been sick in the corner and the radio's blaring. It's like, can we just turn <laughs> at least something off? Someone turn the dog off. Um, and, uh, but I don't hold on to it. I don't just hold on to it and think, right, I should be managing this better. Yeah. That's not how I think. I think this environment is too much for me right now. Yeah. And I think maybe I see people who, who feel that, that they are not, uh, that they are the problem that they're the ones not not managing. Mm. Whereas, whereas actually you just need to turn the radio off. You know, turn a child off for a minute. Get someone to shut up. Leave the room. It, it, you can't... 
you can't really you can't have all your systems on all the time you know all your buttons on all the time all at 10 and then have someone else say something else Mm. but I think a lot of people feel they have to shoehorn themselves into what others need them to be absolutely absolutely. and I think that lies underneath the underwhelm under underwhelm Underwhelm. (laughs) Freudian slip overwhelm a lot of people are very underwhelmed as well with the the outcome of all the effort they put into things which is very disappointing so they're holding all this overwhelm and just shattered expectations of themselves too much but not enough isn't it that's too much not enough yeah which is what we talked about before we came on yeah everything being too much but not enough that feeds you and I often say to people it's just like a bank account you know if you just keep taking money out of it and nothing's going in yeah and I think we feel sometimes that we should be we, we we should be filled by our careers or by our families mm. or by our, our nice house or our new car or our nice social lives or whatever because that's an external script we're, we're shown that that should fill us but it doesn't always mm. you know so some people just aren't filled by that and there's another pressure it's another thing to have to do another thing to have to maintain um you know whereas maybe somebody isn't an extrovert and they'd rather be alone with a book yeah um and they're out all the time and socializing all the time because that that's what they they believe they should be doing for their age and stage and they're exhausted by it and maybe that is part of overwhelm and how you get to overwelm is if you're feeling underwhelmed you take on more and more things yeah you just do more of what's not working yeah it gives you Mm. more sense of purpose Mm. yeah Mm. and and people do you know people certainly do that they 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 look at something that isn't working they're feeling underwhelmed it's not working out for them so they just work harder at it harder at the same thing that isn't working it's the people that have the baby to save the relationship kind of thing isn't it you throw another thing in and maybe that'll be the thing that pulls it together so sometimes by the time you get someone and myself included with any kind of overwhelm it isn't the thing it isn't the the plate that's spinning it's the room you're standing in mm. yeah it's it's the, the environmental you find factors in. yeah I, I do so i do sometimes say to people you know when when they come in with um uh, a, a diagnosis or a condition or a, a, a problem you know, is it you who's got this or is it the environment you know this sounds like a very anxious making environment yeah. i would feel anxious if i was in that environment maybe it's not an anxiety disorder in you maybe it's environmental mm. who was it who said there was some famous psychologist psychiatrist who says before you diagnose yourself with depression make sure you're not in fact surrounded by and then yes. word. Yeah, yes. yeah 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 beep 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 yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think no i remember that yeah i think sometimes we just we we fail to see that 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 we can be and, and what our responsibility is in that and our accountability is in that, you know. So so can can we make that different? Can mm. we ask those difficult questions? Can we make those changes? And that, that can be really hard. Mm. And sometimes it's not achievable as well. It's like your plates um, spinning analogy again. It's kind of all the my only My three plates on my tidy shelf. <laughs> Even if you have ten plates and it's all a bit untidy around <laughs> it. Everything plates? is okay. You be you. No. I see things <laughs> really... have ten plates? I would. I not in Gemma's house. Hers are smashed. <laughs> no. I have empoweredly smashed my own plates. But my environment is so chaotic up. that there's lots of stuff scattered on the floor underneath the plates. So oh yes. therefore, oh if someone no. drops one, yeah. it's not going to smash. Oh, there you go. You see? Really? Yeah. Soft landings. <laughs> when I was 16, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome. So I feel like from 16 years old, I have had to deal a lot with hormonal overwhelm. Mm-hmm. Because um, would I be right in saying that, you know, specifically with any sort of hormonal disorder or hormone metabolic syndrome or whatever it is that, you know, the, the label that it is attached to nowadays, um, it's 
there is a lot of stuff going on in your hormonal sector. And <laughs> it's... <laughs> But it's like what you're talking about the environment. So, you know, in in, in my in, in in Powerburn, in my in my in, in my gym, we always look at the environment, then we look at hormones, then we look at the emotions, and then we look at brain performance, and then we look at the physical body. So you've got all the different mm -hmm. levels that I have to, you know, that we go through, and the gates that we open for each one. But hormonally, just to go back to the hormone thing, so many people don't know. Mm, mm. Do you find that? I, I think that we don't understand how they impact as psychologically and emotionally and, you know, even in body feel and how that makes... So, so this feeling is sometimes, and we joke about it in our culture, about people being hormonal and we just we use it to dismiss real feelings and real emotions yeah. and to pathologise people. And I and it's used as, as, um, as, a, as a, a throwaway comment, yeah. like, oh, you're being so hormonal. Yeah. And it's, a, it's an insult. As if the way that you're feeling on that day doesn't matter because yeah. there's a biological underpinning reason for it, which is just completely, when you think about it, it makes no sense. You're still feeling it. Even if you feel differently tomorrow, in that moment, it's very real. I, and I, you know, I say this as somebody who's quite sensitive to my progesterone levels. I get mood change with it. Um, so I, I often go around diagnosing that in people that haven't recognised it in themselves. And yeah. the importance of doing that is huge because it can make sense of not just um, your life, you know, your last sort of 30, 40 years that you've been experiencing yourself and not realising what the underpinning thing is. And it, and it destigmatizes it. It takes the shame out immediately to understand that it was something that, you know, is sort of genetic and biologic in you. But it also helps to explain the family history because it's quite inherited. Mm. So when you look back in people's lives, they've often got a mother that was maybe misdiagnosed with bipolar or yeah. an aunt. They, you know, I've got um, my grandma... And my, she would be my great aunt, I think, was institutionalized. And wow. I, you know, I know I have a hormonal underpinning thing for that. So you just think oh, a lot of people don't realize what's yeah. going on for them. But it changes, the hormones bind to cells and change how we make proteins. You know, yes. they do something, they change us. And it is a very biological process yeah. that we then end up feeling, like you were talking to, to go right back to the start, you feel, Colette, overwhelm in your body. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's where you combine all three of us together, you know, the doctor, the therapist, the coach. We are all combining our entirety, our, our every single job that we have. It creates what overwhelm is. You know, it's mm. the brain, it's the body, mm. it's, the, it's the mind, it's yeah. the environment, it's everything. And it's worth saying at this point, you know, I, I, I have my hormones checked and I have pills, pessaries and creams, which make all the difference. And yeah. I don't suffer from that same overwhelm most of the time now. Um, I also I come to your gym, Gemma, um, because I, I use my head much more than the rest of my body. I think yeah. I think my processing stops at my neck, to be <laughs> honest. Um, <laughs> but the periods of time at work when I've been very stressed, if I've come to the gym and we've been boxing or lifting or something, I can feel that that go away. Mm. I can feel mm. it dissipate yeah. from. It just gets stuck. I think sometimes in me. And as a therapist, what what would you say that your top sort of three take homes for giving somebody with overwhelm? What would you say? for them to do i think the first thing to do is just to, to ask the question do i feel overwhelmed by yeah. this um and if the answer is no um ask it again yeah i think i think maybe ask it without any judgment i think there's a judgment to overwhelm just you know e ask yourself what could i do that would make this 10 percent more comfortable for me Whatever Excellent. that is, turn the radio down, um, go for a walk, go to the gym, get someone else to walk the dog, go, go sit in the bath, go out with your friends, whatever, just 10%. We're not fixing all of it, just 10%. 
And then I think the third thing would would just be actually just to learn to recognize that learn to recognize that that's your pattern you know your be, be your own experiment find out what works what makes it better what doesn't make it better yeah. and just question what's feeding you in your life mm. we need we need strength to support our lives to hold our shelves up actually going back to what angela said who holds your shelf up you do you hold your shelf up yeah. i answered that correctly oh, thank <laughs> <Yay>. you <laughs> i said elf on the shelf yeah <laughs> i think i said elf for some <laughs> real issues there Gemma. <laughs> well i don't like him no <laughs> So, Angela, what would you say from a doctor's perspective if somebody came to you with overwhelm and uh, or, or not overwhelm, not knowing they had overwhelm, what would be your top tips for overwhelm healing? So I think that you know, it's back to what we said um, last time we spoke, which is that people who come to see me are a slightly less self-selected group. They don't necessarily know what they need when they walk in. Yeah. Um, I think primarily I've got to not miss physical illness. So I need to yeah. check that that feeling is not something that is, uh, you know, there are medical conditions that make you release more yeah. cortisol, adrenaline and so on. So you need to check for things that are going on in the body. Um, but sometimes I provide space as well, just like you do therapeutically and, and reflect back at people, you know, a, a list of what they're doing. And that sounds like rather a lot or I feel tired listening to the things that you're doing and just how I feel when I listen. Um, and I think sometimes what I do or you know, the role of what I do is is not necessarily giving the idea, but it's almost giving permission to say no to something or to acknowledge that the way that things are at the moment is not working and yeah. somebody has said that perhaps you need to rethink. Yeah, I'd yeah. What about uh, you, Jim? Well, for me, you know, the, the physicality of, of overwhelm is, is looking at the recovery. And it's not necessarily the feeling better straight away. It's what can I do to make myself feel better? So, for example, immediately look at what you're eating. And that comes into environment. So if you're overwhelmed and you're sat I there... I don't have a scone. No, week. no, no scone, <laughs> no scone. But if you're, if you're eating really highly processed food, that's not she going to me. help. <laughs> we all looked at you. <laughs> we all did. <laughs> but if you are, it's, it's, it's one of the worst things you can do. So what can I do to help physically help my body and to, to, to nourish my body enough that is going to help me start the process of one step at a time. Like for you, it's what you said about, you know, it's it's that one one ten percent it's the ten percent you know it's like if you're drowning it's the life jacket mm. or it's the it's the ring that's been thrown at you you're not thinking about getting out of the water mm. at this point it's about how can i not drown right now mm. and for me that that immediately personally would be look at my nutrition am i drinking enough water you know, cells are 70% hydration. Mm. And if you're not drinking enough water, how are you expecting your body to work for you? It's always going to work against you. Mm. So, and then the last one would be, you know, for me, it's 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 your environment. Tell the truth. What is what is the actual truth? So yeah. nutrition, water, truth telling for me. Mm -hmm. mm, Ladies, that. it has yeah. been an absolute pleasure, as usual. Thank you for having us. Um, get ready for our next podcast. We are going to be back again in the Wire One Live Lounge or Fish Tank. I hope you've enjoyed it. Check us out. Bye-bye. The Doctor, bye. the Therapist and the Coach was presented by Gemma Taylor with Dr. Angela Wright and Colette Saville. This was a Live Lounge podcast production from Y01 Radio. For more episodes of this and other podcasts, go to y01radio.co.uk.